Welcome back to the United Pubcast for your Monday therapy session. Manchester United 1, Aston Villa 3. Obviously a very famous scoreline at Villa Park. Um, obviously the times have changed since 1995, but that was the last time Villa got a victory against Manchester United at home. And here we are, 2022. Um, very similar feeling now. Obviously Manchester United went on to achieve great things that season and great things in the sort of the seasons to come on sort of after that. But obviously we're in a different time now, Larry. And um, can you see that proving a catalyst as it did all those years ago? Oh, look, I, I don't think so, Tom. I, I think we all expect it. And we, again, you have to come back down to what did you expect out of this season? I think going in, anyone would say top four would be considered a successful season. You probably expected us to finish fifth or sixth particularly after the opening two matches. Uh, so in all in all, there, there are going to be ups and downs in this season. And I think this was just unfortunately one of those blips and what's been such a really positive six or so weeks of football. So I'm, I'm not going to get too caught up in it. But what I will say, Tom, is uh, United's front three, I think you could make a case that some of Aston Villa's front three players could walk into United's starting eleven, And fundamentally... That is the problem. I still don't think we have the finished article in terms of attacking players. I know there'll be a lot of attention in terms of how we conceded goals, and rightfully so, but United simply don't score enough. And it just puts a lot of pressure on us when we do go behind early to muster any kind of comeback. Well, we'll get into individuals and whether that be the front end of the pitch or the final third in a little bit when we sort of dissect the performance. But you mentioned that sort of the ups and downs. And I put out a tweet a few hours ago. Obviously, I watched the match on delay. I didn't watch it live, but I sort of unfortunately stayed away from the internet for about six hours until I could finally sit down for an hour and a half and unfortunately watch it. But um, it was one of those things when I'm watching it, it comes to the 80th minute when you know the game's over. And I'm thinking, OK, what are we going to talk about on tonight's podcast? I was in that sort of real sort of anger sort of mode. So, oh God, this is frustrating. Sell this player, sell that player. We need to buy this player. This guy's at fault, blaming this guy. But then at full time when I sort of accepted it and said, okay, have a think about it. And it came down, down to my opinion, what you mentioned there in regards to the ups and downs. I thought, well, hang on. At the start of the season, we've all accepted here under Eric Ten Hag and the position where we're in that it's going to be up and down season. There's going to be highs. There's going to be lows. We're not going to win the Premier League. So with that, there's going to be disappointments. Now, we've just had six weeks of very good performances and good results. Okay, this is one bad one. Now, I thought it was a quite a bad one. I thought it was quite poor. It would be interesting sort of how people weigh up from the first two games against Brighton and Brentford. I think performance-wise, now maybe not the feeling of losing 4-0, but I thought performance-wise, it was along the lines of that Brentford performance. I thought it was quite poor um, across the board. But in regards to the emotion after it, yes, during the match, I felt really angry. But now looking back, while I am angry and frustrated with many things, it was one of those ones where you just have to take on the chin and think, okay, it is what it is. Uh, we signed up for this when we got Eric Ten Hag. I'm not blaming Eric Ten Hag at all, but we signed up for this sort of little bit of a roller coaster season. You look at Arsenal, okay, they're paying the dividends now of being top of the league. You look at what they've gone through with Arteta over the last five years or however, however long he's been in charge, three, three or four years. So um, in my opinion, it is just the price we pay. Absolutely. Like, like we said, and like you've correctly pointed out, this is a, a rebuilding process. It, it's going to be frustrating at times. We're going to get results that we don't deserve. But we're also going to get results like beating Arsenal 3-1 at home when we were clearly the second best side in that football match. So, I mean, it's just going to be part... It's just, it is going to be tipsy-turvy in, in Ten Hag's first season. I think all in all, the signings that Ten Hag and Manchester United made were correct ones and steps in the right direction. But no one looked at that squad and said, this is a side ready to, ready to challenge for the title. I think our strongest 11 is... is Decently strong. But once you get one or two injuries, as we saw, 
I mean, I can just list some of them for you, Tom. We had our we had uh, Victor Lindelof playing. Varane's not available. Uh, you had uh, who else was missing? You had um, Martial well, look, was obviously out. Anthony look at the was front out. Three. Anthony Sancho. And the second you're losing one, let alone three or four, the quality just dips off. And and you saw that today. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, yeah, in terms of we can look at the people who did play and sort of if they're good enough or not good enough, we have to look at the people who weren't there and their players who a lot of us do think are good enough. So we were, unfortunately, and obviously their new manager bounced, you know, Emery and all that. So it was a difficult situation, but we didn't perform and unfortunately got what we deserve. But before we crack on, um, Dion, good to see you in the live chat, mate. Hope all is well. And Mike, good to see you as always. Now, we will get into all things um, Aston Villa and sort of the match and the performance. And unfortunately, 3 2 ones will be interesting to get your take, Larry, on 3 2 ones in. We, we always try and be fair and sort of give the points out even after a defeat um, in regards to trying to keep sort of integrity in the award. But that, it's really scraping the bottom of the barrel in that one. Um, only one or two performances potentially do stand out for me. But if you are um, tuned in or watching on playback, do stay tuned towards the end of the video. We are going to be running or introducing a bit of a competition, a bit of a World Cup um, competition to keep everyone engaged. And uh, obviously, because Manchester United have huge representation at the World Cup, well, hopefully, um, obviously, a lot of the squ squads been announced in the next day or two, but a bit of a sweepstakes off the back of the Melbourne Cup in terms of, I'm sure, everyone had was sort of involved in the Melbourne Cup sweepstakes over the last couple of weeks. So um, do stay tuned for that, and um, we'll give you the details towards the end of the podcast with George. Um, good to see you here, mate. Hope all is well over in Europe. And um, the other George stuck over here in Sydney. Donny van der Beek should, be, should have silenced his critics. Not sure what's wrong with him. He looks, looks lost at uh, Luna Park. Donny van der Beek is a topic for me. Um, we'll get into that. Did, did not take his chance at all. But, okay, match review. We always start with a start in 11. Now, an interesting one. Very easy in hindsight, Larry. Very easy in hindsight. We'll say in play Victor Lindelof, Lindelof has to part, partner Martinez. I was saying play Victor Lindelof. Ten minutes into the game, I was saying, why are we picking Harry Maguire? Easy in hindsight. Obviously, all of us called for Victor Lindelof to start at the start of the match, but it didn't go well for Victor Lindelof. Or Martinez, I thought it was Martinez's worst performance in a Man United shirt. Yeah. David De Gea, could he do a bit better for the first goal, potentially? So just in regards to that start in 11, we'll start at the back. Um, Victor Lindelof and Alessandro Martinez. Kim, they've been good, and Martinez has been more than good. He's been brilliant. It wasn't their day, and it wasn't their day after the first five minutes. No, it was not. Uh, Victor Lindelof, for the first goal, he was an absolute shambles. If you press out of that defensive structure, you got to close the man. He got bullied, and he he just basically left the defence short. Uh, I think it was Ollie Watkins who got the better of him. And, uh, yeah, it, it didn't bode well. And i got to say, tidy finish by Leon Bailey. I made the point at the start of the video, Tom. I think there are some players in Aston Villa's side who could, you could make an argument to say, I think Leon Bailey is one of those players. If someone put oh, him well, in United... When he was at Leverkusen, he was linked to United for £60 million. Pound. He's a good player. He's a good player. Uh, and Aston Villa have been struggling under poor management of Steven Gerrard. But they suddenly get a manager who knows how to manage and, and you bear the fruits of that. Um, a bit tongue-in-cheek there, obviously. But no, nonetheless, Villa were, were really good. And what you're saying is exactly right. Now, Martinez, he, to me, he looks like a, is the destructor of a defence. He's not the type to lead. I look at Victor Lindelof and he doesn't seem the most vocal of players. So I just wonder, do you have two good players there who perhaps next to Rafael Varane would both thrive? But when you take Rafael Varane, and you and I have had this debate, who's the most crucial defender? Most people sit here and tell you it's Lissandra Martinez. I actually think Rafael Varane's the first name on the team sheet because I think he dictates a lot of what happens to the other players. And I think you saw that case in point today. 
Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's good shout, uh, Rob. Here, um, bad day at the office, plus the new manager bounce. Which, uh, again, look, Man United I have. Don't to think, share, uh, I don't believe in manager, but like new manager bounce, I really don't. I, I think it's on. We, well, no, we do. We had it under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, had it under Ralph Rangnick. It happens, and obviously at Aston Villa, that they're at a low point under Stephen Gerrard. Suddenly, this new manager comes in. Man United are in town. Their crowd is up for it. The biggest atmosphere in their club's history in the last couple of seasons in terms of getting a world club. Define him as world class manager, but a big name manager. Obviously, Man United are in town. There's a circus around Ronaldo when he arrives there. I'm not sure if Ronaldo played in the corresponding fixture last year, but there's this huge moment for Aston Villa. And this is one of the sort of criticisms I have towards this group of players from Man United. We can't deal with the pressure of a crowd being up for it. It's all easy at Old Trafford when the crowd's behind you, or you go to away an away game and you sort of get up one or two nil and you sort of sort of cruise in the the opposition crowd is a little bit silent. But as soon as we go to Brentford and Brentford, biggest day in their history, Aston Villa, new manager bounce, and the crowd's up for it. We don't, we just feel like we're running in quicksand. Like we just don't feel we have the mentality to sort of fight through a little bit of adversity. And we sort of cave and let the opposition sort of dictate how the game's going to go. I don't know if I agree with that. I, I, I think there are a few factors that tie into United's performance. One is fatigue. I think a lot of those players who started today have played a lot of football particularly over the last month. Martinez doesn't get a break. I don't I don't think... Has there been a game where he hasn't started yet? He plays every single game. Uh, Diogo Delos, same Delo, thing. Erickson, yeah. Shaw recently, since he's come back in, in the Manchester derby, which was a month ago, he started maybe with the exception of one or so games. He looked off it today as well. Uh, and then, the, then you look into the front three. Ronaldo, 37 years old. He, he played the other day. He's starting again. Uh, captain as well, which I've got to... You know, I think there's question marks on and even that appointment. That was a point. Mm. Um, and then I look at Ganacho, who young player played well the other day. Is it the right thing to be starting an 18-year-old back to back? Now I saw criticism. Rashford's best position is arguably on the left. He got moved over to the right to accommodate Ganacho. Now, in principle of I I agree with accommodating a young kid because I don't think it's right to move Ganacho left to right, particularly when he's just trying to ease his way into the first team. But you also, by that token, nullified Rashford because Rashford on the right is ineffective. He's just as good as me there. So, I mean, all in all, I thought the the squad selection wasn't right. A lot of players are injured. There's fatigue factor. And then, like you say, then you then tie into that Aston Villa were always going to be up for this game. It, It was the perfect storm for United just not to turn up, and they didn't. Yeah, definitely, George. Here we crucified Ollie for minimal rotation, um, so we need to ask similar questions. Very Ten Hag. I think the questions are there with Eric Ten Hag. However, rotate with who though? Like, I suppose yeah, no, no, no. That, that, that's why. In terms of the result of what is happening, you can say, okay, yes, there should be more rotation. But obviously, if you do have the more rotation, how does the squad look? So I can un- I raise the question, Eric Ten Hag, but ultimately I can't criticise him for it. Maybe with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, I potentially could criticise him there. But we'll move forward into midfield. Larry and Rob brings up the point here. Donny started in after a shocker the other day. I was shocked that he started because, one, in terms of Eric Ten Hag, one of the things I've been pleased with his management since he's come in has been rewarding performances. And anyone who hasn't been performing, um, he hasn't been rewarding. He's put them back on the bench or left them out of the squad. Donny van der Beek had his chance midweek, was, I don't want to say woeful, but had a very poor game, was ineffective, didn't take his chance. And ultimately, you have Fred McTominay who can come in and do jobs away at Villa Park sort of thing. They're sitting on the bench thinking, okay, one of those will come in for Bruno Fernandes. But Donny van der Beek gets the chance again. And the same old, same old. And I, look, I'm not blaming any one individual for this defeat. I'm not blaming Ronaldo. I'm not blaming Rashford. I'm not blaming Lindelof. I'm not blaming Donny van der Beek. But I, and this is not a Bruno Fernandez loving, but you're swapping Bruno Fernandez and that energy he would bring both on and off the ball in regards to what Donny van der Beek did. Whether Bruno had a shocking game or, or a great game, 
he'd be doing something. He'll be making, he'll go kick someone, he'll go argue with the referee. You'll know who's playing. The first time I remember Donny van der Beek was playing was when he'd been substituted off. I just seen for a player who's fighting for his Manchester United career. That can't be the case. Yeah, he was, he was so disappointing. I, I understand the criticisms around his selection uh, in saying that the, the Dutchman, it was really the perfect opportunity for him. Quiet against your and against Europa League opposition. Well, a Donny van der Beek avid defender would also say to you, "We'll give him a chance in the Premier League. Let's see what he can do against quality opposition in United's first team lineup." He got that opportunity today, and he just didn't turn up. The, the thing is, particularly as a midfielder, we and I've said on here before, Tom, he needs to go looking for the ball. If the ball doesn't come to him as a midfielder, you have the license to go look for the ball. He doesn't. Every time he tried to pass, it didn't come off. He didn't get involved. He just played like someone void of confidence, scared of the occasion, and he didn't grab the game by the scruff of the neck. The game grabbed him by the scruff of the neck, and then Eric Ten Hag grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and hooked him off. He was woeful, and he deserved to be pulled off when he did, and he was lucky to survive to half time. I think in hindsight, let me ask you this, Tom. In hindsight, you, you could have also made an argument for Fred, to be honest. I think United just lacked a bit of energy in that midfield, and I think looking at how the game panned out, Again, the benefit of hindsight, I probably would have opted for Fred uh, just to add a bit of energy because we just... I, I, thought, I thought when it went 2-0, what minute was it 2-0? Was that 10 minutes or it was very early in the game? It was about 10 or 12 10, minutes, yeah, I think. Something like that. I, I thought that, and it would have been drastic, would have been harsh, but I think it's what needed to be done. And I, I was maybe having flashbacks to when we went 4-0 down at halftime against Brentford in terms of forgetting about winning the game, just stop making it embarrassing. It would have been very harsh and it would have been, sort of pub, it would have been flashed all over the news. But I was thinking, if I'm Eric Ten Hag here, take Donny van der Beek off. Not sure any fault of Donny van der Beek in that first 10 minutes. Obviously, other people are at fault for the goals. But I thought, you've got to take Donny van der Beek off. He brings Scott McTominay on. So get, some, get some energy in there. Get someone who's going to fight. Get someone who's going to battle. Get someone who's going to make it tough for the opposition. And I just thought we made it so easy for Aston Villa in that first half. Now, that, that, again, that would have been harsh on Donny van der Beek. But I wouldn't have been shocked if Eric Ten Hag wanted to change things up in terms of making that right decision. But obviously, it wasn't the case. And very easy in hindsight. Um, who knows, Donny van der Beek, does he get another chance in the League Cup um, against Aston Villa? Time will tell. Now, before we move into 3-2-1s, Larry, um, we'll sort of move forward up the pitch, and there's two players to discuss. We'll discuss Ronaldo second, but Marcus Rashford. And again, Victor, who was worse? Victor Lindelof, Martinez, Donny van der Beek, Ronaldo, Rashford, it's all up for interpretation in terms of I think everyone was sort of equally as poor. My issue with Marcus Rashford, this one, it's not even an issue with Rashford. It was just a case, I just want to grab him and just sort of give him a shake and say, what do you want to be, Marcus? Do you want to have a statue outside Old Trafford, which you could potentially do? You have all the tools to become a Manchester United legend and have your own statue outside Old Trafford. But then on the other hand, I think, well, hang on, this is the same player we should be shipped, shipped out to Leicester City. When I see a performance like that, or you see a performance from the Aston Villa front three, again, okay, Rashford's been banging one or two goals, and I think he's been performing quite well in recent weeks. But ultimately, when I see the effort levels today, it, again, it just comes down to the effort levels for me. When I see him walking around the pitch and not tracking back, I just think... I watched Bruno Fernandes on the right-hand side the other day in terms of didn't have a great performance but was tracking runners all day, up and down, up and down, up and down. And Marcus Rashford was just standing there and I just look at the effort levels and I just I just want to shake him because he has all the tools, as I said, Larry, to go and be a Man United legend. And um, he frustrates me the hell out of me. I can tell you that. Yeah, I can, I, I can see that, Tom. I, I can see you. You're getting a little bit red, mate. Have a drink of water and calm down. But on Rashford, look, I, I think he is what he is. I think you and I will be having this – we've had this debate – since probably his first season at United and, and as long as we've been going here. Uh, and, and I think that with Rashford, we're going to be having this debate until the day he leaves Manchester United, Tom. He is what he is. And by that, he, he is going to be inconsistent. 
I don't think he's his work rate is there when things are going right. I don't see his work rate there when things are going wrong. And I think that that, but ultimately the mark of a professional, and I'm not to call him unprofessional because I think a lot of players do this. But when I talk about the elite bracket for Manchester United, Roy Keane's level of performance never changed. Bruno Fernandez in our current side, his his level of energy never changes. We can be up three nil or losing five nil. Fernandez runs himself into the ground. Same with Fred. And all the criticisms I have of Fred, I can't question his work rate, his work ethic. There is a little bit of that with Rashford. I don't think it's a definitely not a predetermination. It's not something that's practiced where it goes out there to not put in effort. But I think naturally sometimes some players, when they do fall behind, you miss that. You, you, got, you struggle to get that extra kick up the backside. You struggle to get that extra kilometer in the leg, that extra step. I think that's what it is. And ultimately, when we've had this debate around, back to the old age argument, how many leaders, who's the captain of this side? Marcus Rashford shouldn't be in that discussion for performances like today. Couldn't stand up, didn't make himself, didn't have any influence on the game. Well, it's a nice segue. And look, I agree, but it's a nice segue into our next point before we move on to three two ones. But Dion, he again ties into the Rashford thing. And again, not blaming him. Everyone was sort of in the same boat, but tired team. Rashford definitely did look tired. Sports Capital, good to see you, mate, as always. Um, do you think Ten Hag is saying to the board, look, we need more players um, once we get these injuries? Um, we have no one. I hope he's saying those messages, whether he's displaying those in his team selection or his substitutions. I hope those conversations are happening face-to-face with the people who do make the decisions. But it comes in here. Mike brings up the point, Larry, which um, is our next point on the agenda here. Uh, Ronaldo rewarded with captain's armband after acting like a man, baby, walking off the pitch and actively seeking a new club. So we'll go on to Ronaldo because, okay, Rashford was poor, Lindelof was poor, Donny van der Beek was poor. Ericsson was poor. Ronaldo was as poor, if not poorer, than anyone. I thought he had a quite largely an effective game. Um, had one or two potential. Ch- that header was a little bit behind him, but should do better. And the defence I've had of um, Ronaldo in recent times, in terms of should he be playing, should he not be playing, is when a chance falls to him, he'll take it. And what he's not doing at the moment, when those chances are falling, he's not taking them. So he's not helping himself and not sort of justifying a spot in the start and eleven. But the point I want to bring to you in regards to we had this discussion the other week in terms of the, what Mike brings up there in regards to. Should we reward him with the captaincy when he obviously walked off against Tottenham Hotspur and the issue with Eric Ten Hag? I want your opinions on how Eric Ten Hag is dealing with this situation because I, I said to you that I like how Eric Ten Hag is dealing with this situation, but I raised questions over it. And I'm just saying that you said I wasn't able to do that. If Eric Ten Hag is doing a good job, there, there is no questions to raise. You're either on Ronaldo's side or Eric Ten Hag's side. And you're sort of saying oh, it can only be on Ronaldo's side if I'm raising questions towards the manager. But what I would say... So let's say you're on Eric Ten Hag's side, which I know you are, which I am as well, but he then gives him the captaincy. Can you still back Eric Ten Hag but also raise questions? Because I have huge questions over that. Yeah, 100%. I, I thought it was a very questionable decision. Um, I, I Ultimately, I, look, whenever I analyse anything like this, Tom, and, and I take this to anyone in the comments as well, you, you need to be a, a little bit pragmatic in the way you think. And ultimately, if, if Martial's out... You've had to move Rashford over to the right because there, there are no wingers. Ronaldo can't play winger at 37 years of age. You've got Ganacho there. So I can understand why you've chosen Rashford wide. Then you come back to, all right, I need Ronaldo to fire. He, he's my striker right now. He's the only striker I have. I can understand the thought process of, all right, well, if I'm going to start him, I can't give the armband to Casemiro. He, he got here about three weeks ago. So I'm, I'm not doing that. Harry Maguire, well, I don't want to pick him. He might, he might make me concede a goal. All right, well, I guess he's not going to be my captain. Victor Lindelof, 
Probably not either. You go through the side, there's not obvious options. Cristiano Ronaldo, rightly or wrongly, Manchester United legend, has won the unbanned before, has won a Ballon d'Or with the club. He's won every every major trophy with the club. I mean, it makes sense, right? I'm going to give him the armband. I'm going to hope it returns a motivated performance. And if Ronaldo's header goes in the back of the net in the first half, well, this conversation would be very different. But ultimately, it's and the thing is, when I watch Ronaldo perform, Tommy, it's not he's not performing like someone who's quote unquote lost his legs, not performing like someone who looks old or, or tired. He's just not sharp. And I, ultimately, I, I look at Ronaldo and I think at his age, a preseason is more crucial than at any other age. And uh, ultimately, I think what you're seeing from him is a lack of match sharpness. And uh, unfortunately, maybe all those... Uh, you talk about that match sharpness, which I agree. I would lean more towards in the last couple of weeks. Look at it. It's potentially an age thing. Now, look, he's proved me wrong many times. So I don't want to just sort of completely throw getting, that label at him. His foot's getting there. So that, he's getting oh, yeah, there. But, but I think he's hopelessly out of form as well, which is probably the only player in world football we don't allow to be out of form. He's one of those players. Even out of form, he's still going to score 40 goals a season. So he, I think he's just out of form, unfortunately, for the first time in his career out of form. And I think we're, it's very hard to see Ronaldo in that state. So when we do see him in there, it raises so many questions. But what I would look in regards to sort of whether his age or his form or his sharpness, the position he's put himself, not he's put himself in, but the club have put themselves in with Ronaldo now and with our sort of investment in that front tree. If you do look at the facts of the last week or so, it's a 37-year-old playing, has he played every game in the last three weeks, three games in seven days or three games in 10 days? I just think if we're relying on a 37-year-old striker, yes, we can criticise Ronaldo for the individual performances or his behaviour, but look at what Manchester United have given the manager. Okay, here's your striker, 37-year-old, playing three times in a week. I just think that is not the answer, regardless if he's good enough or not good enough. Yeah, it's a valid argument. Look, the, the captaincy selection, I don't agree with it. Um, Dion made the point here, give it to De Gea. I think that could have been an option too. But ultimately, if Ten Hag didn't give it to Ronaldo, imagine the circus. Yeah. Oh, no, it's one of those ones which, which Scott here from, it's a football thing. Good to see you, mate. Hope all is well. Not as simple as Eric Ten Hag's side, Ronaldo's side. It's a ho- highly complex situation. And you make that point there, Larry, in regards to he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, in regards to the armband. Um, there's a no-win situation for Eric Ten Hag, unfortunately. As I said, if the goal goes in, we're having a different discussion. Um, it's an interesting one. Sports capital here, we should have kept Cavani. I disagree, with you there. No, I disagree with you there in regards to that. But it's in, in very interesting debate in regards to strike and position. But, Larry, before we move into 3 2 ones, is there anything else you want to discuss in regards to the game? Two things I want to bring up. And, look, Man United were woeful. Aston Villa deserved to win by probably more goals, to be fair to them. Two things I want to bring up in regards to the referee. I counted on two occasions. Martinez, Emmy Martinez, once held the ball for 37 seconds and once held the ball for 43 seconds. Now, I'm just thinking... The six second rule surely has to come into account then. Surely, now I understand if you call for one six seconds, you're going to have to call them all. But when the player holds the ball for the best part of a minute, surely that is when, regardless of if you're going to call them all or only one a season, you have to enforce the rule. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I was just laughing. I couldn't believe he's holding the ball. I'm watching the clock tick down. And I got over 40 seconds once. I was, this is unbelievable. I was actually quite frustrated. I actually did see the amusing side that the referee was, wasn't was picking it up. And the other thing with the referee, again, fantastic free kick by Lucas Dinger. Fantastic. The wall was 15 yards off the ball. Did you see how far the wall was back? Yeah, that was bonkers. I I, I was watching the, play, the players were looking. The players were going, what's happening? I, I can't figure that one out. I don't understand why the, there was such a massive distance. It, and and, and look, you look at the free kick, it's one of those ones that only just grazed the wall. So if the wall is three yards further up, the wall clears it. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, yeah. Um, 
I don't know, Tom. I, I, look, it, it's very hard ifs, buts, and maybes. Ultimately, when, when you lose the way we've lost against the opposition, with all due respect, that we've lost to, you, you just got to look in your own backyard. And ultimately, oh, yeah. rightly or wrongly, United didn't deserve to win this game of football. They didn't lose. The, they didn't win this game of football, and uh, they were not even in the match. And, and I thought with the goal in the first half, maybe we're a chance. Luck, of course, a lot of luck in that deflection, but. Just the defence was shambolic. The, the third goal, particularly, the midfield, just not there, not tracking uh, Ramsey. Was that Ramsey who scored? It's mm. not not tracking him at all. Like, just, I don't know what's going on. I know you're a massive fan of Ramsey. I, I take him at United, I tell you what. I, I'll replace well, well, he's, he's, he's the player I've been banging the drummer. Look, at the moment, and maybe frustration is sort of maybe steering my view of this, but I'd say send Donny van der Beek to Aston Villa and another 30 or 40 million. For Jacob Ramsey, he's a player I've wanted for a couple of years now, or about two years now. I think he's a very good player, but um, time will tell um, if he wants to come to Manchester United or not. But George saying Cavani was to be patting horses in Uruguay Absolutely. if we kept him. Yeah, look, the, the player Cavani take one hundred percent. The professional commitment to Manchester United um, did weigh on my um, nerves a little bit. But um, Boxy give the armband to Ganacho. Ganacho not for captaincy, but is, is an interesting point, and it sort of ties, ties us nicely into our next topic, Larry, in regards to 3-2-1s. Now, in regards to 3-2-1s award, we do try and sort of give points when we do lose. Now, if we lose 6-0 to City, obviously it's very hard to give points and we're not going to do that. However, 3-1 loss to Villa, that happens at some st- some stages throughout a season. And we do want to keep integrity in regards to the award. If someone does deserve points, you don't want to just not give them points in regards to the end of season total because of everyone else sort of playing bad. So I'll... I'll listen to your argument, Larry, if you don't want to hand out points to anyone today. But I do think we could maybe scrape the bottom of the barrel and find points somewhere. But um, well, I mean, I'm, I've got the shovel and I'm going to be scraping that steel looking because, uh, look, I, I think a lot of our listeners, and please correct me if I'm wrong, enjoy 3-2-1s. And I don't want to deprive the patrons of that. And like you said, I think we can always find positives uh, in these kinds of games. Maybe, maybe not all. Maybe there's not a whole, you know, maybe there's not six points to give out today, but I'm sure we can give something out. Let me, Tom, may I have the honours, please? Uh, I, 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 would, I would go for Ganacho. I thought he looked lively. I thought he looked dangerous with the ball. He, he tried. He, he he kept running. I think then he needs a bit of coaching, though. I think that it's a bit of headless chicken running, and I think he could do a bit better there. But all in I all, thought Casemiro, if I'm handing out three points, I thought Ganacho's in there, but Ganacho would be my two. I think Casemiro... And again, he had a lot to do in midfield. Obviously, Donny van der Beek and Christian Eriksen didn't get through bucket loads of work, which left Casemiro quite exposed at times. But I do think Casemiro was... Now, a lot of it stood out in regards to some tough tackling. And if it was Scott McTominay doing those, we're saying they're, it's reckless and they're fouls. But um, I thought Casemiro did well in a tough situation in midfield. That's valid. I, I thought he was off the pace. And uh, look, that, that third goal, I'd need to go back and check which midfielder loses his man, but... I just thought the whole midfield wasn't there. And, and that's what ultimately rubbed me, probably detoured me away from uh, fr- from Casemiro. I just, and look, like I said, I, but I could be punishing him for someone else's sins. So I don't want to do that. I think Casemiro is definitely in the conversation. And I won't argue with you if you want to give the Brazilian three points. Well, George here has gone Casemiro for three, two for Ganacho, and one for Luke yeah, Shaw. Anything to show. He looked like a fat man with a kebab in his pocket today. He just, he, he was back to being slow fat man Luke Shaw. He just, he, he was running in deep sand again, Tom. He, he was losing his man left, right, and center. Yes, at times, but but I would look at both fullbacks. I want to throw Delo and Luke Shaw both into this in regards to they were involved, they were making stuff happen. Whether they were making stuff good enough happen, I'm not sure. That's up for debate. But I thought they were, they were involved and they were, they were an outlet. Now, ultimately, Luke Shaw potentially now it wasn't his goal, but 
you could say played a huge part in the goal in terms of the deflected shot. Now, we obviously it goes down as an own goal, so we're not giving Luke Shaw the goal. But ultimately, in regards to weighing up three points, he's the closest thing to a goal scorer. So maybe that's where potentially George gets his shout there. But I thought Diego Delo and Luke Shaw, while ultimately not good enough in the final third, and at the end of the day have conceded three goals, they were that bigger out there, a bigger threat than Ronaldo and Rashford, for example. Yeah, yeah, I think that's definitely a valid point. A short on the ball is really good. I, I think it's an understated part of his game. He's technically very sound, isn't he? Um, yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, look, best of the bad bunch, but he he had a really poor game today as well. But look, I guess in the 3-2-1 argument, who am I to say? If it's not Luke Shaw, who is it? Well, the, the names were popped up and look, George has that in the chat, as I said. So we'll, we'll just go those, just get over and done with. We'll go three for Casemiro, two for Ganacho, and one for Luke Shaw. Now, someone who can't um, appear in the points, but um, just your thoughts on Box here saying, I think we showed we lack Bruno. He'll still be running around the pitch. Now, forget his effort levels, or this could come in the discussion. But in regards to Bruno Fernandez, it's one of those games where even as Bruno Fernandez fans, as you and I are, it's one of those ones where I was quite excited to see a team without Bruno Fernandes. How would we play? How would Ericsson play in the number 10 role? Now it ended up being Donny van der Beek for large periods. But ultimately, we thought, okay, we might play better football where there might be better decision-making. We might have a little bit more quality. Now, not to say Bruno comes in, we're going to win the game. Maybe he's as bad as anyone else and we lose 5-1. Who knows how the game will pay out? But it looked like we missed Bruno Fernandes. Of course it did. He's one of those players. I think it's... Uh... How do I say it? it's like the new it's the new cool thing to do, criticize and ridicule Bruno. I don't know when it happened, I don't know why it happened. Uh, but that, that seems to be the new cool thing to do, Tom. You, you criticize Bruno Fernandez. I'm I'm not gonna come on here and do it. I understand he's frustrating at times, I understand he loses the ball a lot, but he's he's one of the most creative players in the Premier League. Statistics will tell you that. And I think we're a better team with him than without him. And you, you saw look, anything that Van der Beek was gonna create. I mean, I don't know what he could create, to be honest. I, I think if you gave Donny van der Beek a recipe on, on how to make scrambled eggs, he'd somehow struggle to do that. He, you know how just, we, you know how we criticise Bruno Fernandez for the the headless chicken running in terms of pressing above Ronaldo, pressing the goalkeeper. What I did see so much, and again, this comes down to sometimes I do question Ganacho's work rate as, as well as Marcus Rashford's in terms of defensive thing. I did see Ronaldo. So Ronaldo was actually defending quite high. That's one of these things we look at Ronaldo and say, he can't press, he, he won't do the effort. He was actually starting quite high and ready to press, but he's always looking around when Tyron Mings or Martinez had the ball. And he's looking around and Rashford and Ganacho were 30 metres back and the okay, I'm not going to go. So it looked like Rashford or Ronaldo wasn't really pressing. And Donny van der Beek was just ho- sort of hovering around behind Ronaldo, sort of not really sort of trigger, triggering him onto that press. I'm just thinking now this might have been a bad thing if Bruno Fernandes on there might have exposed us even more. But what I would have seen from Bruno Fernandes was he'd go with Ronaldo, okay, we're going. And Bruno would have done something. But because Ronaldo was in two minds thinking Rashford's not going to go, well, I'm not going to go. I think Bruno really sort of instigate. Now, sometimes that press is bad if he goes by himself. But I think we lack that energy. And again, the energy might have sort of exposed us um, even more. But I do think in terms of on and off the ball, he does something. It might be bad. But Donny van der Beek just was doing nothing. And it's not to blame Donny van der Beek or say sell him off the back of it or anything, but we just had a Bruno Fernandez size hole in that number 10 position. Don't sell Donny. Mate, do you want me to pull out what you wrote in the group chat this morning? You want to sell Donny. Don't come on here. And oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. That, that, that's what I said. I said that the feeling throughout the match is sell Donny van der Beek and give 30 or 40 million to Aston Villa for Ramsey, of course. But in terms of, yeah, we, we can't sit here and blame individual. Like Bruno Fernandez might have played that game. We might have lost 5 0. Who knows? That's sometimes it's a very easy in hindsight. But throughout the game, I was thinking, God, we had Bruno Fernandez. It might be a little bit better. 
But um, there's a question here from um, George before we start to wrap up the show. Does this result affect the team we put out in the League Cup, given it's the same opposition? I want to see now, obviously, you do need to give people minutes, and you're not going to just play a team full of kids. You're obviously going to get smashed if that happens. But I would like to see maybe one or two debuts. Excuse me. Um, I can think of two players that I absolutely want to see start. I don't know if it'll happen, and uh, I might save it for the preview. But uh, there are two kids who have never started in a competitive game for Manchester United who I want to see get a go. And, and I think it, it's in a problematic area of the field. And I think I, I think if there's ever – look, with all due respect, I could not give a shit about the League Cup time. I like the League Cup. I like it. I, I've always been not, – not a huge fan of it. It's not it's not the Champions League or anything. But I've always thought, look, it's, it's a it's – a, it's a cheap way to go win a trophy. I just, I just think I remember yeah, what Jose Mourinho did in his that, first but I season. I promise you, if we won the League Cup and finished six, I promise you, it doesn't say in the, ah. this season. I think Ten Hag's safe no matter what he does. But I assure you, if if, if this was another season and we finished six and we won the League Cup, manager still losing his job. I can promise I, you. I, that. I, look, I get those arguments and I don't disagree, but. Give me a trophy. I'm desperate. I'm desperate. But boxing, we'll get into a preview later in the week. But Dubravka, Deleu, Maguire, Lindelof, Malasia, Casemiro, I think McFred, do, I do, do think they start this game. Bruno Fernandes, Martial, and Alanga. Looking at that team, it looks actually quite, I wouldn't say in a critical way, but far too much of a senior team in my opinion. However, if you do look at the names, potentially players who all do need to play. But the Diego Deleu one is interesting because if someone in the live chat could correct me, or Larry, maybe you could even um, provide some clarity in regards to this. I did see a tweet. Now, again, a tweet, so who knows, might be 100% bullshit. But that Ethan Laird potentially has a recall um, opportunity in his contract at, on online at QPR where United can recall him um, before the end of the season. I'm not sure if that is true. Um, if anyone in the live chat does have some clarity on that, do let me know. But the right-back situation, even in these fully rotated teams that Box has just put up there or that we're going to put out in a couple of days, it's including Diogo Delo. And we're talking about Ericsson playing too much or Martinez playing too much or Ronaldo can't play three games in a week. Diego Delote is starting every single game, whether it's our strongest 11 or our weakest 11. Diego Delote has to play. Look, on Ethan Laird, I think that's possible. If you can think back to last season, United actually recalled him from Swansea. Uh, so, you know, it wouldn't seem out of the realms of possibility that he has a callback. I think that's actually quite common. But, like... Tom, I scratched my head when Ethan Led went out on loan, to be honest with you. And I just thought, when you see, I mean, Wambasaka hasn't started a competitive game under Eric Ten Hag. He's on loan because he can't sell Wambasaka. That's the thing. I mean, would you not have been better off just keeping Ethan Led around and just having both of them registered? And if you don't fancy Wambasaka, no, that, that is why. And look, look, I agree. Maybe we should have got, oh, I'm sitting on the side of the fence that we should have. You should have got rid of Aaron Wambasaka and Ethan Led as your backup right back. But the moment you keep Aaron Wan-Bissaka through no want of Eric Ten Hag, but because Man United refused to accept a bid, Eric Ten Hag is stuck with him. Then you say, well, might as well just keep Ethan Laird. Well, no, then he's third choice. and He's better off online going and getting the minutes at QPR. Yeah, that's valid. Look, I hope, I know that, I mean, from all reports, United are trying to move Wan-Bissaka on in January with a look to buy a right back. Um, you, mm. you know, I'm a massive fan of Ethan Laird. I like him. I, he's got injury problems and that's, that's potentially what's going to hinder him. But I recall the game was a Real Sociedad we versed uh, in preseason. Was a Real Sociedad? He, he we, played we pre Well, he, he came on the tour to Melbourne. Um, I remember he was at one of the events. So I was lucky enough to be at and had a maybe 31-minute um, chat with him. And um, obviously level head on his shoulders and obviously he does care for Manchester United. He could really that re oh, genuinely came across that he does have an affection for Manchester United. And ultimately he was hoping for a sort of strong season, obviously, 
sent out on loan to QPR, but it is one of those ones you would like to see him back because the Aaron Wan-Bissaka situation is just a mess at the moment. I think yeah. he's happy to say Eric Ten Hag obviously has no interest in him. Um, Man United didn't accept the bid from Crystal Palace and here he is stuck on the bench and obviously running Diego Delo into the ground. But just a comment here a little bit earlier um, in the chat, just want to bring up before we sort of wrap up the podcast with our last topic, but Scott, um, it's a football thing. Um, Bruno's body language draws negative attention, reminds me very much of Ozil in that sense. Urza was perceived as lazy and Bruno was perceived as a sook. I don't think so. I, I, I don't look. I, I see the point of view. Whether whether I agree or disagree, I don't think that has an impact on Man United's performance. Now, yes, in regards to the way fans maybe view a performance or referees act towards Bruno Fernandes or oppositions deal with opponents. Do you think Bruno's a sook, Tom? I don't. It's just a Portuguese player. With a, with it's perceived, but, but ultimately, which I've made this saying before, it's perceived, so he's not in my opinion, but perception is reality. And ultimately, if he is perceived, that that is what he is. And please, there's no racial slur in this. And if you're perceiving that as, as that, then, you know, that, that's on you. Have you ever known a Portuguese captain at, at elite club level to not be petulant? Pepe, yeah, Ronaldo, no, yeah. uh, who, who, who was um, the guy who played for Madrid and Barcelona? He was a sort mm-hmm. too. No, he wasn't. Lewis Figo, was he? He wasn't. A He's our ultimate yeah. professional. Oh, please. He was a sook too. No, Pepe, no, I Ronaldo, just Bruno. Oh, look, all, all the greats. All the greats. It, it, it's part of it. Like, Scott, and look, fair play to Scott in terms of it's, um, Arsenal at the moment. They're officially in a title race. Now, yes, the title race in terms of that April to May. Yeah, no, in terms of the last 10 games, in terms of a proper race, okay, they're not there yet. Whatever happens, happens. But at the moment, they they're in a, it's, it's it's them in Manchester City. They will now, finish top with... four, though. I will say that. I'm happy to concede that Arsenal will finish top four. They're playing some unreal football. Uh, a fair play to them. And the, the, not inspiration, What the lesson I would learn How from Arsenal. Are, are they on paper, though? I, I always look at that team and I can't no. believe they win. <laughs> it is what it is. But, but what I would take in terms of whether Arteta is a good manager or a bad manager... Sticking with the one manager, that is one lesson Man United can take in regards to looking ahead to Eric Ten Hag's tenure at United. A couple of bad seasons, stick with him. Let his get his plan across. I think the b- biggest lesson I took from that Arsenal-Chelsea match, the big star from Arsenal, um, Aubameyang, Arteta wanted rid of him, got rid of him. Ultimately, he had a poor game against him, so it's proven to be the right decision. So if Eric Ten Hag wants to get rid of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, let him get rid of Aaron Wan-Bissaka. But ultimately, the Glazers won't make that um, decision the manager wants because it doesn't make financial sense to them. That's another debate which we'll touch on, I'm sure, throughout the World Cup. But the World Cup does bring up my um, next point before we do wrap up. But Stephen, good to see you, mate, here from the Man United Supporters Club. So late arriving tonight. Just got over the annoyance. Um, the annoyance won't go away, um, whether you're late or early, but do appreciate you tuning in. Um, Viking, good to see you, mate. Make sure you go over and subscribe to Viking I Football. I'm like to kick you in the nuts. Seriously, mate. I love that. But, well, um, someone he, here supported us, giving us a comment, and Tom's like, well, look, you're not going to feel better. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> Well, he says it he disagrees with the striker as captain. Um, their focus should be the goal, not looking back um, to guide the team, which is always interesting in regards to it shouldn't matter. It's like a shirt number debate. It shouldn't matter if the right back is wearing number seven or number two. It shouldn't matter if the goalkeeper is captain or the striker. But in, in football minds, it does. And it's, it's just one of those things which I do agree and disagree in certain parts. But we'll move on to the last bit, Larry. And um, I'm interested to get your thoughts because Man United are going to wrap up this time next week. We've got two games. We've got Villa in the League Cup. And then Fulham, I don't know if Fulham is at Old Trafford or Craven Cottage, I'm not sure, but it's the last game of the Premier League before it does break up. And then obviously it is the World Cup. Now it's one of those ones where if it was an international break this time of the season, we'll absolutely ruin it, thinking, oh, this is going to be a nightmare, how boring. But ultimately it's the international tournament. Now we'll discuss World Cup sort of matters a little bit later on and definitely throughout the tournament in regards to the matches and who we want to do well and 
who's, who are we going to buy, who's put $10 million on their transfer fee, etc. So make sure you are subscribed for plenty of World Cup um, content throughout the tournament. But we will make things a little bit interesting in regards to engaging the audience and engaging everyone in the live chat. I do have two little prizes here, and we're going to do trials, trial something. So Larry, get your thoughts on it as well. And everyone in the live chat, do give us your opinions on um, how you think this will work. But we've got here, um, as Larry's having a bit of fun in the live chat, but I'll try and stick, I'll try and stick with the, the, the process here. But as I said, in terms of World Cup sweepstakes, obviously everyone in Australia saw the Melbourne Cup um, the other day. That's around every office. You're part of them, um, uh, horse racing sweepstakes. What we will do for a $2 entry, so you can do that whether by uh, the Super Chat option or if you're watching on Playback, the Thanks option, for a $2 donation, which obviously just goes to running, running the channel, et cetera, and obviously the postage for this prize. Um, you could go into the sweepstakes for an entry for the World Cup team. So it could be your end. Hopefully we get 32 entries, then everyone gets a nation. So Larry might get Brazil. Box in the chat might get Argentina sort of thing. And the winner will get one of your choice. So I've got two options here. Um, the winner will either get a Brian Robson signed photo. Obviously a bit of World Cup theme Maradona is in that photo. I'm um, not signed by Diego Maradona, but signed by Captain Marvel, Manchester United and Eng England legend. And obviously two Irish players here, um, Dennis Irwin and Roy Keane, signed by Dennis Irwin from one of his famous goals at Anfield in the treble winning season. So um, if you do fancy a chance at winning one of those, um, do enter the World Cup sweepstakes. And um, Larry and I will definitely join it in. And um, any thoughts on that, Larry, in terms of a little bit of excitement throughout the World Cup? Get me Brazil. I just got something I'm feeling. I'm starting, to, I'm starting to think Brazil as well. I don't know why. Whether that's the Anthony Casemiro thing, I'm not sure, or Fred as well. Obviously, but um, World Cup in Brazil, they're just a match made in heaven. Yeah, I mean, uh, you and I have debated. It might be something to do a video on. Could, could it be the final the, the final chance to put a nail in the coffin, to pull the curtain down on the Ronaldo versus Messi rivalry? Oh, it, it has to be. If, if they're on opposite sides of the draw, it is potential where Portugal do play Argentina. 100 and could you imagine the build-up to that final? It would oh. be the biggest, it would be the mo biggest moment in sporting history. I tell you what, for all my criticisms of Ronaldo that for this season, I reckon that game he'd find something. He'd oh. find a way. He'll, 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 Messi he'll, would find he'll something as well. It would be it would be amazing. Brilliant. They're both brilliant. You know, I, I was watching some highlights of Messi from uh, Barcelona, two thousand eleven and two thousand thirteen. Uh, they won the treble in one of those in the middle of that, and uh, he is so graceful. The way Messi, and, you know, obviously we're, we're a United fan channel, so we obviously focus on Ronaldo more. And, we, you know, I do tend to lean on the Ronaldo side of the argument. I just think he's a more complete player. But Messi's dribbling ability is, it's graceful to watch. I, I don't know how to put enough words into it to describe it or, or the right adjective. He's graceful. The ball sticks to his foot like, it's, like, like there's Velcro. The way he dribbles, his close control is phenomenal. I don't know if we'll see another footballer like him either. Um, you know, and I think, Tom, can I truthfully say, you and I have been blessed to grow up in an era where we saw these two behemoths of the sport play at their primes. Because I think these younger fans who didn't have the opportunity to see Barcelona, you know, obviously as a United fan, you'd be upset seeing Ronaldo leave United. But it was such a good story watching them have the El Clasico battles all those years, it's marvellous footballers. And if the story does pan out that way, I mean, a lot would need to happen for it to fall that way. But mm. if it does, you know, it'd be phenomenal. Yeah, no, definitely. Stephen here with a shout. Um, don't write off the host. I'll wait, wrong World Cup. It'll be interesting what happens with the Qatar. But you mentioned that dribbling ability, and obviously from another number 10 Argentinian player, that dribbling ability said nothing we've ever seen before. We have seen it before, and just to wrap up, 
Obviously, Diego Maradona is on this photo with Brian Robson, obviously a famous moment in Manchester United history. So just a reminder, we are running a World Cup sweepstakes, um, $2 an entry. So if you enter twice, you'll get two teams in it. You might get um, Brazil and Portugal, etc. cetera. So um, you can either leave that in a super chat option or the thanks option below and um, as many entries as um, you feel free. And um, yeah, Barry, any questions before we do wrap up? Are Newcastle a lock for the top four? Have we been a, sleeping on Newcastle? There's a question here from Viking. Um, let's not forget Newcastle, the only team in the top six with no European football. They have less um, fatigue and more time to plan. Ultimately, you think, now we've said this with Leicester, that Leicester aren't going to continue. They're not going to win the league. Ultimately, they did. I think everyone at the moment with Newcastle is saying, okay, maybe they'll fade away. They won't quite have enough. But if you do look at the fixtures other, other teams around them, in Tottenham, Chelsea, Man United, Arsenal, all these teams will have, you do look at the run Newcastle have and... They're doing very well at the moment. Maybe they need a little bit of investment in regards to a bit of quality in January, but obviously one club's going to do it in January. It will be them. So in terms of that top four race, you have to say they're in with a very good chance. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, their defensive record is keeping them in games. They're not conceding goals. And ultimately, they're finding a way to get results. I mean, they smashed Southampton. Um, so, so they're getting the business done at the other end as well. And credit to Eddie Howe. You know, he, he got sacked. Uh, from uh, from Bournemouth, and, and he's obviously bounced back really well, and he, he's gone to a club with, with a bit of ambition, a bit of gamble, a bit of something to prove, and he, he's put a bit between his teeth, and, he, and he's gotten the, he's gotten the job done so far. He's he's got Newcastle humming along, and you know what? He might actually be the coach who might be actually a beneficiary from this. He might actually get to if he can be the coach to now see Newcastle into the next evolution. He might be the next big coach in, in world football. So. Credit to Eddie Howe as well, because I, I think, you know, he deserves some credit for what Newcastle have gone on to achieve. That This time last year, they were battling relegation. So uh, he's yeah. done well to turn things around. Since that, not to, not to pin it all on the money, but since that investment came in and Eddie Howe came in that January, um, they haven't turned back. If you look at a collective ladder, I think they've been the second best team behind Manchester City since then. So fair play to them. But... Um, Larry, talk to me in regards to it is 8.18 p.m. here in Sydney, so a little bit after 9 a.m. in the U.K. I have yeah, a 5 a.m. start, so I am going to bed quite soon. Um, I'm not sure we haven't discussed this earlier, but if you're staying up and you want to continue with a live stream a little bit later on, feel free, but I will be in bed, so I want to see the result of the draw in the morning. But um, make sure you are subscribed in case we do do anything live or Larry does anything live. But um, we'll be back um, whether it be tomorrow or the next day with a reaction to that or maybe a, sort of a look ahead to the League Cup. Because as I said, the League Cup isn't sort of what excites a lot of people. I actually do find enjoyment out of it, especially in regards to potential team search. In two hours. So we'll have a discussion about that when we do go off air. Um, make sure you are subscribed. Um, any other thoughts, um, put in the comments below, and we'll get back to any thoughts um, you do have. But um, as I said, there is that World Cup sweepstake. Um, just rewind five minutes and have a look at the details there. You can send a thanks option or super chat $2 on. entry. Who are we drawing in the... In the Oh, it's not a prediction. No, it's it's just Barcelona or Ajax. I don't know which one, but that, what those two teams are confirmed. I'm not sure which one it has fallen on, but it is Barcelona or Ajax. There's no point tuning into the draw. Give me Juventus. I want to. I want to see Casemiro run through Pogba. I just want to see it. <laughs> Pogba's in there as well. <laughs> I say no. I, I think the money's on um, by Barcelona or Ajax. I'm not sure. Um, you can just see the storylines and Barcelona. Obviously, the biggest game in there which UEFA would obviously love. But obviously, I think one of the things here we're saying, oh, we don't want this team, we don't want that team. I think the positive, which we're all sort of missing, Barcelona don't want us, Ajax don't want us. We're the one team in the draw that the Champions League teams don't want to face. So that is one of the things I think we're all forgetting in this, and we do need to sort of stiff our, um, 
stick our chest out a little bit. But um, until then, make sure you are subscribed. Hit, hit a like on the video on your way out. That'd be very much appreciated. And we'll chat to you whether in an hour or two or in 24 hours. But until then, have a good one and cheers. Cheers.